We're just going to get right into our message today. Uh, we are uh, in the middle of this series called Rule and Reign, and today we have a really big topic to cover, uh, a lot of ground that we need to make up here, and so I want to jump into this. Um, I want to do a quick kind of recap so everybody in the room is up to speed on where we're at and how this came about. So rule and reign, where exactly do we get this concept? And so in week one, we laid it out really nicely. We went back to the beginning of the biblical story. We read Genesis 1, and this is what we learned. Uh, the, The biblical writer is painting a really important picture, and that is everything within creation is God's. Okay, all of it is his. He is the owner. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We read that within the book of Psalms. It's his. But what he has done is he has given us, as human beings, the authority to rule and reign over these things on his behalf. So we are to be co-creators, co-rulers with God. That's how he has designed things. And so what we said in week one is ultimately our job, our purpose within this life is to steward wisely the things that God has given us. We want to be really wise stewards. So over the last two weeks, we've gone through what we're calling pillars of wise stewardship. In other words, what kind of holds this concept up so that we can actually walk in it? And so two weeks ago, we talked about the concept of diligence, that if we are going to be wise stewards of what God has given us, we must be diligent in every bit of it which means we are to be hard workers. We are to be mindful and intentional with everything that he has given us. We are not to be lazy. We are not to be apathetic. We are to put everything on the line to see his will done so that we can maximize the things that he has given us. That was the first pillar. Last week, we talked about the second pillar, which is the concept of contentment. And what we said is that within this stewardship thing, this should be our heart posture. This should be like our inner disposition at all times. We are to be content with the things that God has given us, which means rejoice in those things and trust that they're enough. Because if we're going around and chasing what everybody else has and going after what everybody else has accomplished, we're not going to be wisely stewarding what God has given us. We're not going to be focused on those things. And so contentment is something very important we need to consider. And I ended last week by saying that if we can get this inner disposition right, then I truly believe we'll be equipped to actually live out this lifestyle that we need to. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today is the Christian lifestyle, the the family ethic within the family of God. And so pillar number three within wise stewardship, it's a big one, is generosity. Generosity. We are to be a generous people. And so we're going to start today a little bit differently. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball. I want us to do um, a bit of a thought experiment here because I want to make sure we get our mentality right first before we get into anything else. So maybe follow me along with this journey, kind of put yourself within this experience. And so let's say that you are going to a party. Um, You are headed to this party. You know that this is being held by a very generous host. And so already as you're heading there, you have some level of expectation as to what you might experience over the course of that day. And so you get to the party, you park the car, and as you're walking up to this home where it's being held, you look at the the front yard and it's just 
immaculate. Like the, the grass is perfect. The landscaping is just absolutely beautiful. They've got decorations out for the party and, and they're, they're pretty and they're tasteful. And it's just like setting the mood for what you're about to experience. And so you get to the home and you walk into this house. And as soon as you walk in, you're, you're almost just struck in awe of how beautiful this home is. It's big and, and it's spacious and everything is just so well done. And you start looking around and, and there are just things everywhere for you. Like there are private chefs who are all around the house just ready to cook you whatever you might want at any given time. You can't go like five steps without running into a, a tray of appetizers, your favorite appetizers that you get to kind of chow down on. And as you're walking around, drinks are just being placed in your hand. Like you're not longing or wanting for anything. And, and you're almost overwhelmed with the generosity of this party. And so you head uh, out, out to the back. And as you walk outside, it hits a whole nother level like acres and acres of land and just pools as far as the eye can see. And there are like hot tubs lined up all around the side and, and there are snack stations and there are games and it's, it's just abundance right in front of you. And as you're standing there, you're thinking to yourself, this is the most generous party that I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen anything like this. And you have like this, this joy that is welling up within you. You're thinking to yourself, man, I wish I could invite everybody to this party. I wish everybody I know could experience what I'm experiencing. Just amazing. But then as soon as you start to feel that way and you start to think that, you kind of look across the yard and you see something just a bit odd. It's just a bit strange, and that is you see this gentleman starting to kind of pickpocket some of the snacks in the station. Now, you're looking around, and you're like, dude, there's snacks everywhere. You don't need to do that, but he's like trying to be sly about it, and he's putting the snacks in his pocket, and he kind of sneaky walks away like nobody saw him, and you're just like, that's weird, okay, whatever. So you go about the rest of your day, and before too long, you see another guest who has got like three trays of appetizers in their arm. And, and they're, they're going across the backyard, and you notice it's not a waiter, it's not one of the servers, so you're intrigued, and so you follow this person, and they go to like this secluded area, and they just start hoarding all of these appetizers for themselves. And again, you're like, I don't get this. It's, there's so much generosity around. Why would you act like this? So you head to the, to the backyard again, and as you're heading out there, you start to hear some commotion and it's getting louder and louder, and you look over, and there are people arguing about who gets this particular hot tub. Now, again, there are 10 other hot tubs available. They're wide open, but they're arguing over this one hot tub, and it actually starts to get a, a little aggressive. They're actually getting physical with one another over who gets this hot tub. So you're like, you know what? I'm done with this backyard experience. I'm, I'm, I'm over this. You head back into the house, and as soon as you get into the house, everything's changed. The vibe has shifted. It's not the same generous party that you initially walked into. So you start to kind of scope around, and what you realize is that the guests of the party have taken the food, they've taken the drinks, and they've like locked the doors in some of the rooms in the house, and they're just hoarding all of it for themselves. I don't want anybody else to have this. This is mine. This is an interesting thought experiment because this is the picture that we get as we open up the biblical narrative. As we read Genesis 1, we see the beginning of the party. We see a picture of beauty and abundance and splendor, and God is just generously giving out for the benefit of others. This is amazing, awe-inspiring thing that we're reading. 
But then as we go on, we get to page three, and sure enough, people start acting a little bit odd. Despite all that they have been given, despite everything that has been made available to them, they start acting like God is almost holding out on them. And so they begin taking what is not rightly theirs. And they start hoarding things for themselves. And sure enough, before you know it, they're fighting and they're bickering against one another. This is literally the beginning of our biblical story. And what we see from this foundational narrative is something very important. And it's what's called scarcity mentality versus abundance mentality. This is probably something you've heard of before, but let's make sure everybody is up to speed. Scarcity mentality is a mindset that says there's not enough. I'm living in a place, in an existence where there is shortage, there is deficiency. And this creates in you a certain perspective and thus a certain lifestyle. On the flip side, an abundance mentality says something very different, which is there's enough. I live in a stable creation hosted by a generous God, and so there's enough to go around. And this creates in you a certain perspective and thus a certain lifestyle. Now, with that in mind, I want to go back and read a passage we read last week in Matthew 6. And I want you to tell me which of these mindsets Jesus seemed to live by. Did he have a worldview of scarcity and and shortage and deficiency, or did he have a worldview of abundance? Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, if you sit in that for a little while, and you just allow that to stir in your hearts and your minds, what becomes pretty clear pretty quickly is that Jesus seemed to believe that we should have an abundance mindset. He believes that we should see through a worldview that says, don't worry, there's enough. Like, don't be anxious, you'll be taken care of. In fact, did you catch the symptoms that Jesus was presenting around each of these mindsets? He says, if you have a scarcity mindset, if that's how you see the world, you're gonna be anxious, you're gonna be worried, you're gonna be stressed out. Those are the things that you will experience. If you live in a scarcity mindset, what will end up happening is exactly what happened in our party metaphor. And that is at some point, you'll start looking around and you'll think to yourself, you know what? I think all of this stuff is eventually gonna go out. Like all the food and all the drinks are gonna go away and the pool and the hot tubs are gonna be taken by everyone else. And so while I'm at it, I need to get mine. 
And we're back to what we talked about in week one, where it's, I got to take care of me and mine. I got to take care of my tribe. And through that lens, it actually becomes your responsibility to then take and stash and hold tightly to everything that you have. This is where the scarcity mentality ultimately leaves us. Now, on the flip side, if you live in an abundance mentality, there's enough, then Jesus says you'll experience things like faith and peace and generosity, because instead of all of this is going to run out, and so I need to covet and hoard all of this, it's simply there's enough. And so I don't need to run around constantly as if the resources are limited. I don't need to freak out if I'm not always in control. See, an abundance mentality frees you up to just enjoy the party, to, to just trust the host. And then what happens is it creates a lifestyle that allows you to be open-handed with everything that you are and everything that you have. Depending on the mentality you have, it will absolutely guide the way you live your life and the way that you steward what God has given you. Now let's talk about the, the harsh truth behind this for just a moment. Because if we're being honest, what we see is most of us in our culture, in our context, very much live in a scarcity mindset. If we drill down deep enough, what we find is that we live like there's not enough. Despite the fact that, that we live in utter abundance, God's blessings just all around us, we're still trying to take and covet and hoard things for ourselves. And what has happened as a result is we very much have an inner disposition of worry, of anxiety, and of fear. Like if you could line out our thoughts and our feelings on a typical day, that's exactly what you would find. And so I'll just go back to what I've been saying over and over again throughout this series, which is we can either hold tightly to our perspective and, and our worldview and continue to minimize what God has given us, or we can trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about, adopt his worldview, and when we do that, we're actually able to use the things that he has given us to make a true lasting impact. We actually get to use these things to make a difference in this life, something we need to consider. Now, I want to ask a question, and I want us to maybe think on this for a second, because we've talked about scarcity, we've talked about abundance, but ultimately our topic is generosity. And so here's the question. Why should we be generous? Like, why is that something we should do? Even if we have an abundance mindset, that just means I know I'll be provided for. I know that there's enough. That doesn't necessarily mean that I have to give anything to anybody else. So why should I be generous? I want to take you back to week one in the picture that we painted. Everything is God's. He's the owner, and yet he freely gives to us. The other thing that we read in chapter one is that we as human beings are made in the image of God, which means a lot of really cool things that we could get into, but mainly what that means is that we are to reflect our creator. So everything is God's. He has freely given it to us, and we are to reflect him. So the answer to that question is we are to be generous because God is generous. He has given us everything that we need, everything that we have, and so we need to freely give it to others around us. Again, let me say, this is the Christian lifestyle. This is the family ethic. This is the type of life we are supposed to live. Think about it. If everything that you have is ultimately from God, is he not the most generous person that you know? Is he not the most generous person that you could ever know? And we see this all over scripture. 
Once you're aware of this, it's actually amazing how much you see this from beginning to end of the narrative. Let me give you just a few examples so, so you can see this in action. For instance, the most famous teaching of Jesus is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Luke 6, amazing stuff. Go read it. It's awesome. But as you read it, look at the unbelievable generosity that Jesus is teaching us to live by. For example, Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, in order to do that, you have to have an abundance mindset. You have to believe that you can freely give, that there's enough to go around in order to love your enemies. That's an amazingly generous thing to do. Jesus continues, bless those who curse you. If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. Like if somebody takes something from you, just go ahead and give them everything that you have. Think about the crazy generosity. Lend without expecting anything in return. That's who we should be. Be merciful as your father is merciful. So even with something like mercy, we are to be generous with this. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Catch this. Give to everyone who asks you. Just give it to them. And if anyone takes from you, don't demand it back. Just allow them to have it. See, what Jesus is doing is he's painting a picture of a lifestyle of generosity. Again, just open-handed with everything that you are, with everything that you have, with everything that you have received. Jesus says this later on in the sermon, Matthew 5, 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Again, we are to be like him. We are to reflect him. He causes his son, everything is his, his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So in that last sentence, we see the, the abundant generosity of God, right? He gives to the righteous, the unrighteous, the evil, the good. He just lays it all out. But here's the more interesting part. Nowhere in scripture does it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not written anywhere in the law, anywhere in the prophets. It's, it's not in there. What Jesus is instead pointing to is how they've distorted the command. The command was simply, love your neighbor. And yet, catch this, in their scarcity mindset, they assumed that meant hate everybody else. They had created a tribal mentality out of this good command and started hoarding the love that they had freely received. And so as a response to this, Jesus says, don't do that. I don't want you to have that scarcity mentality. I want you to love even your enemies. I want you to do good to them. In fact, I want you to pray for them. In other words, don't be stingy with your love, with your compassion, with your mercy. Freely give it away just as your father has done for you. We haven't even talked about this within the series yet, but, but Jesus is talking about key stewardship principles around love, which means this is one of the many things that he's given us that he asks us to steward wisely. So are, are we to, to take it and, and hoard it and think that it's only for us, thus judging everybody around us and despising anybody that might think differently? Or are we to follow in God's footsteps and freely give it to everybody around us? What would be the good and right thing to do? You're starting to see how deep this runs within the biblical narrative? In fact, here's another area where we see this. Listen very closely 
to how the biblical authors frame up the idea of Jesus's death and resurrection. Watch the language that they intentionally use. We'll start in Romans 8, 32. Paul says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Just freely giving. 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Just generously gave it up. John 3.16, we know this one well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You want to know how you can ultimately trust in God's abundance and in his generosity? The ultimate answer is found in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. The incarnation of Jesus is God's ultimate gift. It's the ultimate display of love and generosity that in our weakness and in our sin and in our shame, he freely gave of himself. He laid it all on the line to redeem and restore us. That is generosity at its peak. That's what it's about. And because of that, as we read through the rest of the New Testament, we begin reading words like grace and and forgiveness. This is really cool. Check this out. Our word grace in the original language is charis. And charis is one of the primary Greek words for gift. So catch this. Grace, the thing we talk about and teach about and sing all the time, grace literally means generous gift. Anytime you see it in scripture, it should be through that lens. It's a generous gift from God. But then catch this. The Greek, the, the, the Greek word here as a noun means grace or gift. As a verb, it means to give a gift or to forgive. In the Greek, the idea of forgiving someone is to literally give them a generous gift. So take a step back for just a moment and think about how often we see these words in scripture. Grace and forgiveness over and over and over again. And every single time it is to be seen under this umbrella of radical generosity. God just freely giving to his creation. And remember, our purpose is to reflect him. Our purpose is to be like him. In fact, let me finish 1 John 3, 16. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So here's the response. We also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, John is not just saying that we should give. He's saying we should give everything. We should lay everything that we have on the line just as Jesus has done for us. See, this is not a a give because it's the right thing to do kind of idea. Or or even give because you ought to. That's not what it's about. It's, It's give because you've been given to. You've been given love, so love generously. You've been given forgiveness, so forgive generously. You've been given money and and possessions and resources, so freely give it to others with radical, illogical generosity. Like with every minute and every talent and every relationship and every dollar, just be open-handed with it all. Freely you've received, and so freely we ought to give. This is why we are to be generous, because this is who our God is, and we want to be like him. Now that leads us to one last question that I want to explore because I think it's gonna push us down a good and right path here. And that is, how are we to be generous? Meaning to what end or or for what purpose? What does God want us to, to use everything that he has given us for? And so we're gonna go back to Matthew 6. 
I said we would be hanging out here quite a bit in this series. And so Matthew 6, we're going to go to verse 19. We read this last week, but I want you to just continue to soak in this. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's start with this idea of storing up treasures in heaven. What exactly is Jesus talking about? Well, the Greek word for treasures simply means what you choose to collect or what you choose to to store up. Essentially, it means whatever you deem valuable. That's what treasures are. But then Jesus uses the word heaven. Now, when Jesus uses this word, what he's talking about is the kingdom of God as a whole, meaning both a present reality as well as a future one. So here's the picture that Jesus is painting for us, all right? You can either have these huge storehouses and these huge treasuries just full of earthly things, things like toys and cars and clothes and food and drink and and fame and attention. You can store all of those things up. Or you can have these huge storehouses full of heavenly things, full of kingdom of God things. You can store that up. Things like endlessly loving and serving those around you. Things like helping anybody that you might find to be in need. Things like giving your time to teach and equip and develop people. Things like telling others about who Jesus is and what he has done. Things like healing and restoring and fixing and freedom and joy and peace. See, Jesus is imploring us to see what is truly valuable in this life. Because things like freedom and and peace and love, these things don't fade away. They, They don't wear out. And so Jesus says, store them up. I want you to keep multiplying those things. Give your money to that. Give your time to that. Give your talents to that. See, kingdom of God things are the best investment you can ever make in this life. It's the best investment. And so those are the things that Jesus says you should collect. You should value those things. You should store those things up because this is how we are to be wise stewards. Now, the truth is that sounds, that sounds great. That sounds really inspirational from Jesus. That's, that's awesome. But the truth is that is not often part of our daily psyche. That is not often how we think. If we're being honest... Most of our thoughts and feelings are wrapped up in what we think is most valuable, which is money. That's where most of our thoughts, most of our efforts tend to go. Now, I said from the beginning of the series, this is not a money series, and I meant that. But I want to throw it on the table for a second and maybe just see what Jesus has to say about it. If this is a stewardship series, I think it's important we talk about it. And the truth is, most of the things that Jesus has to say about money make you and I very uncomfortable within our perspective and our lifestyle. Let me give you a few examples. Mark 10, verse 25 says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 12, 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's not what life is about. Matthew 13, Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower. He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but, worries, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
Matthew 6, 24. We read this last week, but we'll read it again. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, when we read these things, it makes us a little bit uneasy. It sounds a little bit naive, honestly, if we're going to take it seriously. And yet here's the complexity of this topic, because it's often far more complicated than, than we like to make it. But here's the truth. Jesus does not view money as a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good gift of God's grace for our benefit. That's what it is. But what Jesus is constantly trying to show people is how easily we twist it and distort it for ourselves. How easily this happens. Like Adam and Eve, we've taken the fruit and we're acting like it's ours. And so we get to do what we want with this and we get to do whatever we desire with this. That's how we act. And if we would just listen closely enough to Jesus, he's trying to show us what to do instead. He's trying to, to show us how to rightly use these things and where to rightly invest them if we would just listen. Let me give you a good example in 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So there's that worldview again. Everything is God's and he's just giving it to us. Tell them to use their money to do good. What should I do with my money? Do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. That last sentence there, Paul has clearly been soaking in the words of Jesus. It's that Matthew 6 mentality, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, use these things to bring the kingdom of God to earth. I want you to use these things for things that actually matter and actually last in this life. Like this is what I want you to care about. This is what I want you to be focused on. In fact, this is why Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a really interesting principle that, that you should probably ponder this week. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, if my treasure, the, the things that I store up and the things that I deem valuable, if they are in earthly things, my heart will be in earthly things. That's what I'll think about. And, and that's what I'll choose to put my time and my effort towards. That will become my life's purpose. But if I put my treasures in heavenly things, kingdom of God things, my heart will be there instead. And those will be the things that I think about. Those will be the things that, that I care about and I put my time and my effort towards. Simply put, what I deem valuable will rule my life. It's a very simple principle. And so if that's money, then that will rule my life. But if that is Christ, he will truly be the ruler of my life. See, that's why we, we talk about and we sing about how he is our Lord and our Savior, how he is our, our King. In other words, he is what we value most, and therefore that's where my heart will remain. That's what I'm going to value in this life over and over and over again. I'm going to make him first because that's what I value most. As you read through the Gospels and Jesus' life and his words and his teachings, it is so very clear how he viewed the world. 
It's so evident the way that he saw things working. And what he saw was an abundant creation hosted by a generous God. That's the perspective that he had. And this created in him a very unique way of living that is still the example for us thousands of years later. A life of love, a life of sacrifice, a life of peace, and right at the top of the list, a life of radical generosity. Freely giving of his time to everybody, his talents to everybody, all of who he was for the benefit of others, up to and including death on a cross. And it shouldn't take long to ponder that before you realize Jesus had a completely different idea of what was truly valuable in this life. He had a completely different definition of the good life. He obviously did. That's something you and I should think about sometime. What is my definition of the good life? Like what life is truly about. How would I define that? Is it economic security and prosperity? Is that the good life? Is it social status and attention? Is it selfish gain? Or is it to be generous with everything that I have to see his kingdom truly come and his will be done? What is the good life? See, the biblical narrative is very clear. It's very clear on how Jesus would answer that, on what he would say about that. And so the only question remains, what will we believe and how will we respond? How will we view the world and how God operates? Will we see abundance? Will we see generosity? And how will we respond? Will we continue to be closed-fisted with everything that we have? It's mine, it's mine. Or like God, will we be open-handed, freely giving to those around us? Our money, our time, our talents, love, mercy, grace, compassion, everything that we have, everything that we are, Will we truly lay it on the line as Jesus has done for us?